Young men often speak this way at weddings when they're not the groom. Glad it's not me. Not yet, not my time right now. Old men sometimes do the same too, especially if they've been scarred, if they've been jaded. They speak of marriage as something to be avoided. I'm glad it's not my day. I'm glad it's not my time. It's glad, I'm glad I'm not my hour. Women do it sometimes, but usually, usually when they speak about a wedding that's not yet, the bridesmaids are speaking in anticipation. It's not my day yet, but it's coming. It's not my time yet, says the little girl who's the flower girl, but soon, someday, it will be. Not yet, Jesus said. What is it to me, Mary, that they have no wine? This isn't my wedding. It's not my time. It's not my hour, said our Lord. What did he mean by that? Did Jesus say to Mary there at the wedding of Cana in Galilee, whew, I'm glad I'm never going to be responsible for a woman. I'm glad I'm not going to have to stand at an altar and commit myself to someone. I'm glad I'm never going to have to be the bridegroom. Glad it's not my time. What is that to me, woman? That's not the way our Lord Jesus said those words, is it? Not yet, he said, but what he meant was, but I can't wait. Soon, Mary, soon, mother, soon, it will be my hour. Soon, I will be the one on the hook. Soon, I will be the one who is making and taking and keeping a vow. And I, Jesus says there at Cana in Galilee, can't wait. And to prove it, to prove that he couldn't wait, He changed water into wine, not just a little water into a little wine, not just some decent water into some decent wine, but we're talking 120 gallons full, 180 at the most. Jesus gave wine in abundance. It wasn't his day, it wasn't his time, it wasn't his hour, but he acted like it was anyways. He went ahead because Jesus loves marriage. Today, we should note quite well that Jesus loves marriage. There should be no mistake in our hearts and our minds. And so today, let all half-heartedness about marriage be gone. Today, let all dreary thoughts about weddings and vows flee from your hearts. Today, let all the tired cliches and all the old jokes that aren't really all that funny about balls and chains and what turns the head and who's really the boss, let all those things be buried. Today, let the world's vain attempts to redefine, to improve what God designed in paradise, be hushed. Today, let the world's confusion that creeps into our own hearts and into our own minds and into our own lives, today let that confusion about what a wife should be and what a husband should be be clarified. For Christ our Lord's hour has come, and so has ours. Today let love grown cold be renewed in each husband. Today let each one of you husbands or would be or could be or might be husbands take note. Take note of the Lord who loves and who cannot wait to make and to keep his vows. Take note of the Lord who loves. He is no pushover. He is not whipped somehow. He looks forward to the hour of his commitment. He looks forward, not just to a ceremony or to a banquet or to a night, but to a whole life of marital love. Love that our Lord knows is not some kind of cheap thing. Love that our Lord knows is not a temporary feeling in your gut. Love that is not just a word that tossed, that's tossed out, but a vow kept 
kept even to his own pain. And today, let submission, that word that the world mocks and derides, let submission grown cold be willingly renewed. Today, let each and every one of you wives or would-be wives or could-be wives take note, take note of the disciples who believed their Lord, who began entrusting themselves to him, who happily drew water and filled jars and carried ladles to a master of ceremonies who knew nothing about what they knew. They weren't inferior beings. They weren't lowered by their acts of obedience. They were not reduced to menial labor while everyone else got to have all the fun. No, theirs was a submission freely given, not grudging service, not keeping a score so that later they could get the upper hand, but joyful, trusting submission. At Cana in Galilee, Jesus went ahead. It wasn't his hour yet, but he sure acted like it, didn't he? The bridegroom is the one who's supposed to provide the wine, you know. That's why the master of ceremonies, after he had tasted that wine, called over the groom and said, Look, man, you've been holding out. You thought you could get away with it, didn't you? I wonder, was he upset with the bridegroom? I would have been, right? I would have been if I had to drink inferior glasses of wine, if I had filled myself with those first two glasses of the junk, and then out comes the good stuff, I would have looked at that guy and said, what were you holding out on us for? Everyone does it the other way. You serve the good wine first. But you, he said, have kept the good stuff till the end. All this Jesus did when it wasn't even yet his time. At Cana, we see in the shadows a future groom wooing a future bride. At Cana, we see behind the scenes a manifestation of glory that is just a preview, just a glimpse of something that will come and be even better. Behind the scenes, Jesus manifests his glory by showing a preview of his joyful love that is like wine. And behind the scenes, we see not only the future groom, but we see the future bride. Behind the scenes, we see the disciples of Jesus beginning to entrust themselves to him. The hour is not yet his, and the hour is not yet theirs. But make no mistake, already things are taking shape. He will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden was just a preview of this. What every marriage is to be a reflection of begins to be seen at Cana in Galilee. Christ providing and his bride believing, Christ giving and she receiving, Christ loving and she trusting. Whatever he says must be good. So fill the jars. To the very brim, Lord, take it to the master, as you say. And the master knew not where that wine came from, but they knew, and knowing they believed. The hour was not yet, but it would soon come. And when Jesus' hour came, that purification water become joyful wine was surpassed. What Jesus gave at his hour was something that made that wine look like the dregs. He made that wine that he gave at Cana in Galilee look as inferior to the groom's wine as Christ's was that day. The hour of Christ's glory was not fully manifest at Cana in Galilee. That was just getting started. That was just a preview. That was just the engagement party. The hour of Christ's glory would be made manifest in Jerusalem 
And it was no easy hour. Our Lord put it this way on the night in which he would be betrayed. He said this to his disciples, Now is my soul troubled, even unto death. Sounds like a groom on the night before his wedding. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this hour that I came. Note well, Jesus doesn't have cold feet. No one has to keep eyes on Jesus to make sure he doesn't run away and leave the bride at the altar. No, it was for this hour that our Lord had come. It was no easy thing for him to commit himself to us, was it? That vow that he took and kept cost Jesus. It cost him painfully. He wore no fancy suit, but was stripped and beaten, mockingly adorned in purple with a, a with a crown of thorns on his head. He stood at no safe, bloodless altar, but took his stand and fixed himself to the altar of his own cross. And there, there at Calvary, there he vowed and kept a vow that no human husband can ever surpass. There he showed his commitment to you. He showed his commitment to his church. He showed his commitment to his bride that no words can really fully express. The cross, the cross was the hour of Jesus' glory. And just so, it was the hour of his betrothal to us. The cross was the hour of his glory because it was the hour when his love was made fully manifest. Not just a vow kept until death would part him from us, but a vow made and kept that has broken the power of death. See, our marriage vows always speak of a bounded kind of love, right? We promise that we will be faithful until death parts us, because we know that we cannot keep a vow beyond the grave. But Christ's fidelity knows no bounds. Christ's love knows no limits, for he is the one whose love is stronger than death. Not till death us do part, Jesus says, but through death unto life everlasting. It wasn't his hour yet at Cana in Galilee, but his hour came. And his hour has fully come, and his hour is even now. The hour of Christ's glorious vow being made and kept has become the time in which he is keeping that vow of faithfulness even here, even now. I will be yours, Jesus said in so many ways throughout his life. Couldn't you sum up his whole earthly ministry in those words? I will be yours. I will be your friend. I will be your savior. I will be your bridegroom, Jesus says. I will take your woes to myself. I will take your debts to my account. I will take your sins to my back. I will be yours, Jesus said throughout his life. And at the moment of his death, he showed that he was not going to back out. I will be yours, Jesus vows. And what he vows, he keeps. I will be yours, he says now through the preaching of his word and through the celebration of his sacraments. I will be yours. And so that glorious hour opens up to you. Marriage, after all, is not a solitary endeavor. It takes more than just a bridegroom. They believed in him at Cana in Galilee. That is, they began believing. They began entrusting themselves to him. They began submitting to him and finding in him not a diminished form of existence, but abundant life. 
Life opened up to joy. Life with wine. That's what it means to be married to Jesus. That's what it means to be part of his bride, the Holy Christian Church. What they began at Cana in Galilee, you have entered into. Now, do you think that those servants were a bit puzzled? I'm sure that they were. I'm sure that they were quite puzzled when Mary came to Jesus and said, look, they have no wine. And Jesus' solution to the problem was, go fill up those jars with water. Well, what's that going to do, Jesus? But they submitted their thoughts to his. They submitted their ways to his, and they filled up the jars. And I'm sure they were even more confused then when our Lord said, okay, good. Now, take some of that and go give it to that guy. Uh, You want me to take this water over to the master of... Do you want me to look like a fool, Jesus? Do you want me to embarrass myself? But they submitted that even to him too. Surely they were more puzzled than we are when we hear Christ's word command us to submit and to love, to forgive, to repent, to do this or to not do that. And yet, and yet they found that their obedience did not lead to shame, but to joy for everyone. A wedding at Cana in Galilee was the occasion for the first, the chief of Christ's signs. And marriage was always meant to be that. It is today still meant to be that. Marriage is meant to be. It is designed to be. It actually has a shape. It is not open for us to do whatever we want with us. It isn't open for us to redefine it and reshape it and decide, you know, I think what would suit me better is to do it my way. No, marriage was designed as a signpost to point to something beyond itself. It was designed and defined by our Heavenly Father in love in the Garden of Eden, and it has been given its full shape by Christ and the church. Jesus shows us the bridegroom. Jesus shows us what the love of a husband is to be. And she, the church, the bride of Christ, shows us what willing submission looks like. There's so much talk about what marriage is and what marriage isn't that we should just have some plain speech today, shouldn't we? So here's some plain speech. This is right out of our marriage service. I told somebody this is a great opportunity because usually when I preach a wedding sermon, there's only about 10 or maybe 20 of our members there. Here's what we say in the marriage rite. We say that marriage is the lifelong union and communion of one man and one woman and that it has specific purposes It is designed so that each should receive help and support from the other. It is designed so that a man and a woman can find delight in one another, not in lust, but in holy delight. And it is designed for the procreation of children who will be raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. In all these ways, marriage serves as an epiphany, as a manifestation, as a glimpse as a little signpost of Christ and his bride, the church. And because marriage is this and not anything else, St. Paul can say there is a way to actually be, right? If marriage was open to everyone's redefinition and everyone's reinterpretation, then when we hear the apostle say, wives, you should be like this and husbands, you should be like this, we would all just respond and say, well, that's your opinion, man, (laughs) right? We'll do with it as we want. But because marriage actually has a design, it actually has a shape, there is a way to be in marriage. Wives are to submit to their husbands in trust, as the church does with Christ. 
And so just think, do we pray to him, asking him for what we receive to be good and right? Do we pray to him and ask him, Lord Jesus, keep your promises. Lord Jesus, give to us what you have always promised to be, of course. So let wives speak of these things with their husbands. Your submission to your husbands, just like our submission to Christ, is not the silencing of all our hopes and our fears. It is the working out of those things with trust, with trust, rather than skepticism. The church's submission to Christ is not the submission of an inferior animal to its superior master. No, it is the submission of a dance. It is the recognition and acknowledgement of him who is our head and whose lead we willingly follow. And you husbands, you can hear how God's word directs you to follow the example of Christ, to love as he has loved, not giving lip service to your wife and not supposing that since you're the head, after all, that's what the Bible says, that she exists to exalt you. It's the other way around. The head glorifies the body. So love your wives. Think of her as part of your own body. And let love cover a multitude of sins. Do not count her spots and her wrinkles or any such thing, but instead cover over any blemish that she may have. And in your mind, cover all her shortcomings, all her failures, and instead present herself to you as holy, spotless, glorious, worthy of your time, your energy, your attention, and your sacrifice. They have no wine, Mary said, at Cana in Galilee. And couldn't we say the same thing about the unbelieving world today when it comes to marriage? They have no wine. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have anything. They have no joy. But just as Christ didn't leave them wineless at Cana in Galilee, neither does he leave the world empty today. He uses you, his servants, to do whatever he says. And here's the wonderful thing. When you do what Jesus says, you give wine to the world. You bring joy to the world. This is why we make a big deal out of marriage, because Christ did and because Christ does. My hour is not yet, Jesus said at Cana in Galilee, but my hour will come and I will keep my vows. And because his hour has come, we know what marriage is. We know that marriage will be marked by sin. We shouldn't have any mistake about that. We know that failings will be plenty. Submission will not come easy for you wives, and love will be hard work for you husbands. But don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't try to alter the definition. Don't try to hide any of this under a bushel either, as if we should be embarrassed of the good wine that Jesus gives to us. Instead, Instead, let us glory in marriage because Jesus does. Instead, let us magnify marriage because Jesus does. Let us pray for husbands and wives. Let us speak of the mystery of marriage that points to the way of a wife and the way of a husband. Let us sing about it. Let us encourage one another in it. For they may have no wine, but you have it in abundance. For you have the one who is the true vine, who is the source of lasting joy. And just so, just so you are to bring the best wine into the world so that they wouldn't waste their time anymore drinking what cannot give joy, drinking the inferior wine of an inferior definition of marriage. Instead, instead show that wine to the world. Let each of your marriages be a little epiphany, a little manifestation, a little taste 
a little glass of wine offered to the world to show that the Lord provides something better. The Lord provides joy in abundance. To him be the glory now and always. Amen.